This is Larry Jones. You are listening to the Grace and Glory Hour of the Dyer Baptist Church with our co-pastors David M. Atkinson and Dr. Lee Atkinson. We are coming to you from Dyer, Indiana. Our prayer is that you will be strengthened by the Word today. Now, here is our pastor. Please find in the Word of God, Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. We'll not be there immediately, but we'll be there soon. This year, we've been trying to focus our hearts on the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. We come this morning to loving your neighbor as found in the prophets. And I think for a lot of us, the prophets in Scripture are a little bit intimidating. Uh, We're a little uncomfortable in the prophets, um, partly because there's so many divisions. There's the major prophets, and there's the minor prophets, and there's the post-exilic prophets. And there's the prophets during the captivity. And there's the prophets before the captivity. And there's um, all this imagery. There's flying scrolls. And there's people in baskets. And there's, there's giant statues made out of gold and silver. And there's, there's, there's people that are, are, are burying their girdles until they rot. And there's people who are, are trimming their beard and throwing the hair up in the air. And it's like, what are these prophets about? Anyone else confused by the prophets? Yeah, so sometimes we're like, oh, my calendar says it's time to read the prophets. Hmm. Let me find a different calendar. Um, and we, we skip over or we endure sometimes the prophets, but they are a wealth for us. They are certainly a treasure trove. Remember, as we began studying the great commandments, we saw in Matthew chapter 22 that Jesus told his audience that there are two really important things you need to know about life. The most important thing is that you love God, and the second most important thing is that you love your neighbor. And, and it's a funny how many times we try to succeed at other things that God said are not important, and we don't try to succeed at that thing which he said is most important. So we've been trying to discipline ourselves to really think about loving God and loving our neighbor. Jesus also remarked in Matthew 22 that on those two commandments, loving God and loving your neighbor, on those things hang all the law... And hang the prophets. And so we've seen in Leviticus and in the Ten Commandments that loving God and loving your neighbor are very prominent. In fact, I would suggest that in the Ten Commandments we see those concepts introduced. Love God, the first four commandments. Love your neighbor, the second six commandments. And then we see in in the rest of the law, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus, we see built out what it looks like practically to love your neighbor. And so we saw recently things like you don't play cruel jokes on people uh, just because they have a disability. And, And you don't withhold the wages that they deserve. And practical ways that you can love your neighbor. This morning, I think we'll see that moving from the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law to the prophets, that the prophets just really drive home this principle, love Your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Over and over again, the theme is repeated. As we read the prophets, we're just going to survey a a few passages this morning. I I think maybe we'll develop something that can help you in your reading of the prophets in your own personal Bible study. Uh, We've admitted that sometimes we struggle to enjoy reading the prophets. Um, There are difficult sections there. Um, and there are sections that, that seem like that maybe doesn't apply to me, obviously, today. But all Scripture is profitable, and I think if we read through the prophets with this in mind, it may help us. Here's the analogy. How many of you, when you go driving, um, whether it's on um, local roads or state highways or the interstate, how many of you are wildlife watchers? Okay. 
Very good. You're, you're driving and you're, you're spotting the deer and you're counting, you know, how many of this animal or that animal. I think it's really neat and I really enjoy, enjoy wildlife. I, I, I love God's diversity and creation and the animal kingdom. Um, but I, I am not a really good wildlife watcher. I don't know uh, if I'm just not attentive or I, I don't know. But there are those in our family that we're driving and like, oh look, there was you know six deer. This one had this many antlers, and this one was, and there was that many young ones. Really, how did you take all that in? They're just observant. But here's here's what I found: is that some of that finding the wildlife while you're driving is that some people are looking for it, aren't they? And me, I'm just looking at the bumper in front of me, trying to keep it between the lines. Men don't multitask very well, right? We just. That's all I could do. And, and so what you see has a lot to do with what you're looking for, doesn't it? And if you're not looking for anything, you're probably not going to see the six-point buck or 12-point buck. You're just going to see the bumper in front of you. In the prophets, if you're looking for something, you're much more likely to see it. Jesus said that the prophets hang by the command, love your neighbor as yourself. They are supported by, it, it is the, the spinal column, if you will, of the law and the prophets. And I'd like for you to see this morning that all throughout the prophets, we're going to see this ribbon of loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor. So the next time you're reading Isaiah or Ezekiel or Nahum or Habakkuk, you be looking for love God and love your neighbor. Those truly are the dominant themes in those books of the Bible. With that introduction then, let's find Isaiah chapter 1, and we'll read starting at verse 11. And we're looking for, love your neighbor. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he-goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. What shocking language. All of the things that God just talked about in a negative way were things that he commanded the people to do. And now he's saying, it disgusts me. I'm sick. I'm, I've had it up to here with that. Why would God say that? Well, remember... We are to love God and we are to love our neighbor. Part of the reason we're to love our neighbor is because God loves our neighbor. God is writing to his people and he's, he's telling them, I, I, I want you to love me, but I also want you to love your neighbor. And since you don't love the people I love, you don't really love me. We'll see that fleshed out in these next verses. Verse 15. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. In other words, I'm, I'm not going to listen to everything that you've been doing and, and, and saying because 
you have blood on your hands. You're doing evil. Here's what I really want you to do. I'm not interested in the new moons and the sacrifices and the feasts. I want you to learn to do well. What did he want them to do to do well? What exactly did that look like? Well, he said, seek judgment or justice, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. What? Well, what we saw in verse 15. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. Now listen to this stern warning. If ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And ultimately that is what would happen, isn't it? They would not repent, they would not turn to the Lord, and they would be devoured by the sword. We see here that God expects His people to love their neighbor. In the New Testament setting... If we were to paraphrase this, it would be like saying, I'm not interested in your Sunday morning services and your choir specials. I'm not impressed by the offerings. Just quit bringing money to church. I, I, I don't want you to, you know, do things for little old ladies. I, I don't want you to do your civic duty. Um, I, I, I don't want you to look all religious and pious. I, I, don't, I don't want you to pray fancy prayers and, and, and solemnly memorize scripture. What I really want you to do is, is promote justice in your culture. What I really want you to do is look for people who are hurting, they're suffering, they're having a hard time, and I want you to help them. Because while you're doing these religious things, you are being unkind to each other. You are kicking people when they're down. You're saying they can't defend themselves, so I'm going to take what little they have for myself. I'm, I'm ignoring the widows. I'm ignoring the fatherless. I'm not, I'm not helping the orphans. I am not loving others, but I will love God. And God says, you make me sick. He says, love your neighbor. God's expectations for how we treat others is a very, very high priority. Certainly, God is not saying in the New Testament, don't go to church and uh, don't memorize scripture and don't do devotions. He's not saying that. And in the Old Testament, he wasn't really saying, don't ever do sacrifices again, don't obey the festivals, don't do these things. What he was saying was, don't be a hypocrite and say you love me when you're treating each other like trash. He says, bring them together. Love one another and love me. His expectations for how we treat others is very high priority. He says, I would rather you not do these special holy things than, than to abuse each other like this. It should remind us, shouldn't it, of, of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if, if you go to the temple, at that time it was the temple, not Saturday, if you go to the temple and you have a gift to offer and worship to God, and there you remember that there's something between you and your brother, what do we say to do? Leave your gift. Don't offer your sacrifice and give your money or whatever. Leave it there. Pause your worship and go, first be reconciled to thy brother. And then come back and offer the gift in worship. Do you understand what that says about our priorities? I mean, we're created to worship God, aren't we? 
That's what we're here for, to give God glory and honor and praise. That's what we'll be doing all throughout eternity. And God says, yeah, worship is priority. But if you're about to worship and you remember that there's a problem with you and your brother, put your worship on pause. That's like saying, you're on your way to church on Sunday morning and you remember that you were a jerk to your neighbor. Turn the car around, go back to your neighborhood, apologize to your neighbor. And if you miss the church service, you miss the church service. I'm not saying this because I want you all to stop coming to church. I'm glad you're here. That's priority, isn't it? Isn't God communicating something when he says, I don't want your feast, your sacrifices make me sick. What I want you to do is take care of the oppressed. What I want you to do is, is be generous and kind and, and, and not hurt each other. Loving your neighbor in the prophets shows us that it's a very, very high priority. We also see it's a high priority not only because it, it, it's right up there with worship, but because of the severe warning if we don't love our neighbor. When he said in verse 20, if you rebel, you will be devoured. Come to another prophet, um, Zechariah, a little later in your Old Testament. Zechariah, way towards the end. Zechariah chapter 7. We'll see another place in another prophet, another setting, where God in essence says, love your neighbor... In the prophets, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9. Zechariah 7, verse 9. This one's harder to find, so I'm going to love my neighbors and give you a little extra time. (laughs) Zechariah 7, verse 9. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying... Execute true judgment. In other words, justice, not perverted, bribed justice. And show mercy and compassions every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, that that would be the, the immigrant, the foreigner, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Doesn't that sound like love your neighbor? It really does. And and I would highlight from these verses, we see that loving your neighbor and the prophets shows to us what a high priority God puts on mercy and compassion. These are traits that we'll see throughout these verses. He, He says, don't oppress and relieve them and care for them. And he says, have compassion and have mercy. These are very high on God's priority list. Loving your neighbor, specifically having mercy and compassion. As I think about our culture, what does our culture value? What kind of characteristics or attributes or traits do, do our people, let's just our church, the people around us kind of hold up as those are the people that have it together. Those are the people that you should emulate. Those are the people that we're impressed with. Um, somebody put together this little alliterated outline. They'll talk about people with, with beauty, people with brains, and people with brawn. Right? If you're strong, if you're smart, or if you're good-looking, our culture thinks you're important. Right? That's our value system. Okay, so if we can know the basketball, that helps too. I guess that goes on with, with brawn, right? 
if, if you're good looking and, and, and you can be on a movie screen, if you're good looking and, and you can dress to the nines, if, if you are strong, if you're clever and you can figure things out, our culture is like, wow, that person is important. What Bible passage do you think most closely supports that idea? I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to think of one. But if you do a survey of, of the prophets, do you know how many times God says, have mercy and have compassion? Over and over again. Have not I become worldly when I assess people based on their beauty, brains, and brawn, rather than, wow, that person's really merciful. Well, that person has so much compassion. That's a special person. Aren't we upside down? Yes. Haven't we bought into the world's way of thinking? Let's try to cultivate in our lives mercy and compassion for others. And let's be wanting to imitate others who have mercy and compassion. Instead of saying, wow, that person's in charge. They're not charge kind of person. They are going somewhere. Wow, that person is so kind. I want to be that person. That person is so tender that they wouldn't hurt a fly. That's almost used as, a, as an expression of derision, isn't it? They wouldn't hurt a fly. Like they should. They're weak and wimpy. But in some ways it could be a great compliment of, of, of being pleasing to God, couldn't it? A person is so compassionate. Does it hurt you when other people are hurting? Do you delight in, in, in making things easier for a person who's having a hard time? Or do you like to see the letter of the law carry out? Yeah, they're going to get what's coming to them. Well, they are. As we heard in the response of reading this morning, God will pay vengeance, won't he? It's not my job to deal that out. Romans 12 makes that clear as well. Interesting also in the response of reading, it talked about the wicked people who oppress the widows and the fatherless and I think the stranger as well. Just like we're seeing in these, in these prophets. How merciful are you? If, if I talked to a co-worker and said, describe this person in ten words. What do you think are the chances they'd use the word mercy? What do you think are the chances they'd use the word compassionate or some synonym? Are we known for that? God says, verse 9, I want you to have true justice and I want you to show mercy and I want you to have compassion every man to his brother. Do you have compassion at home? When, when your sibling or your child does something goofy, that's a nice word for it, right? When they do something goofy, do you, do you blow up? Do you get frustrated? Do you make fun of them? Or, or do you have compassion on them? When your coworker messes up, are you merciful about it? Or, or do you really run them into the ground for it? God values mercy and compassion. That's one way that we can show love to our neighbor. I'm going to have you flipping back and forth. Come, come to Isaiah again. Isaiah 58, again, develops this idea of loving your neighbor. Th- these are really just a few passages I found quite quickly. Um, there are others, but these are helpful to us this morning. Isaiah 58, verse 6. We saw in Isaiah chapter 1 
that, that God's expectation for loving our neighbor is a really high priority. He, he says, stop worshiping me and be nice. We saw that he especially values mercy and compassion. Those are ways that we can love our neighbors, by, by being pitiful to them, by, by having um, tender affection toward them. Now look at Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? In other words, this is the religious observance I want you to actually do. To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? When then, if you do these things, shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, the glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Look especially at verse 7. In, in verse 6, he talks about letting the oppressed go and so on, but look at verse 7. Deal thy bread to the hungry. Do I need to explain that? Help people that are hungry. Um, bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. Help people who are homeless. When you see the naked, cover him. And don't hide from your own flesh. From your own flesh and blood. These things aren't complicated, are they? God's expectations for his people were pretty simple. We could summarize all of this and just say, be nice, couldn't we? Be nice. If somebody's naked, what do they need? Clothes. If it's wintertime and they don't have a coat, what do they need? A coat. If they're homeless, what do they need? A place to stay. If they're hungry, what do they need? Food. This is not rocket science. What am I doing to meet the needs of other people? You say, well, I don't run into people in that situation every day. That, that's probably most of us here. Do not run into people in those situations every day. But we do run into people that have needs, don't they? Maybe they don't need food for a meal that day, but maybe they need a word of encouragement. M- maybe they're not naked, but maybe they're embarrassed and ashamed and they feel like nobody cares about them. Is there something you can provide for them? A little security, a little reassurance, a little love? Maybe they're not oppressed. Maybe they're not in prison. But maybe they're, maybe they're bound by fear. And you can show them that there's a way out. There are people all around you that have needs. Are you being nice? Or are you just too busy? Are you too consumed with accomplishing your goals for the day? Are you too focused on your long-term goals for reaching the American dream? To take time to be nice. Now, it's true that the people called poor in the Old Testament and even in Jesus' day are a lot different than people that are called poor by our standards, right? If you look at the American national poverty level or whatever they call it, you can make a lot of money and still be declared poor in the United States. It's different from poverty back then. And yet, consider this. What did Jesus say when uh, the woman brought that alabaster ointment and people were like, oh, I can't believe she wasted all that money. Jesus 
ye have with you always. That means that we have poor with us. Or, I don't know what Jesus meant. There are people that are poorer than you. Right? They, they may not be completely destitute like they were in this kind of economy, but they're poorer than you. They need something that you have, maybe something that you have and don't need. Are you giving? Are you kind? Are you looking for those people? Are you trying to help? We have an abundance. May we always be willing to share. God's expectations for us are not complex. He just wants us to be nice and give people what they need. Come to Jeremiah 7. Next prophet over, Jeremiah chapter 7. God places a high priority on loving our neighbors. He he says, I would rather you do that than engage in worship ceremonies. God especially values mercy and compassion. We see those throughout. God especially wants us to take care of people that have needs. And he lists them over and over again. These descriptors of people, immigrants and poor and um, orphans. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 7, we'll see some of these people listed again. Jeremiah 7, verse 5. For if ye um, truly amend your ways, change your doings, do, repent, turn and, and behave differently, if ye truly execute judgment, there again that's that idea of, of doing what is right, not being biased um, against people who are um, maybe poor or uneducated or um, they don't have a, a good social status. Just like today, back then, those types of people tended to get the short end of the stick. Verse 6, If ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, if, if you will change and do these things, then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. So we've seen now repeated in many of these passages, these, these categories of people, we today might call them disadvantaged, whether they're oppressed or immigrants or whatever. Um, and, and I'm going to leave the application here fairly open. A lot of times I try to be specific with application. But just sharing my heart with you as a member of Dyer Baptist Church and pastor here, I think this is an area where as a church, I think we can do better. I think we can grow in this regard. I, I think maybe there are some ways that we can do better at helping people with extra trouble. And, and I don't think that God intended the church body to function as though um, the pastor or the deacons sit in some committee room, come up with a plan, and walk out and say, all right, people, here's what we're supposed to do. Now you go out and do it. There's a place for leadership, and, and leaders need to be seeking the Lord and providing direction. And, and we want to try to do that. But I think there's also a place for members in the body who have different gifts and have different experiences and, and see different things can say, hey, you know... Deacon so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, I wonder if maybe our church could have a ministry or be a blessing in this segment of our society. I I, I don't know what, but I just kind of have a burden for that. Can you pray with me about that and maybe God would lead us to do something? Do you think that would be displeasing to God? 
Think that would destroy the order in the church? I don't think so. So I, I have a few ideas, but I, I don't want to mandate ideas from the pulpit. I think we should all be seeking the Lord and say, boy, if over and over and over again in the prophets he said, these specially disadvantaged people are the things we can be doing today to help disadvantaged people. It might look a little bit different, but the principle could be the same. Are we reaching out to immigrants in our community? You see, there's no immig- immigrants around here, you think. Oh, well, we need to... Um, we don't need to worry about those things because, you know, there's, there's government programs for those things. Is that really who you want taking care of people that God loves? I'm not saying government programs are wrong. I'm saying, is that your out? Say, well, it was, it was different then than it is now. I know. But there are still people that are having a hard time. What are we doing about it? I'm not suggesting that we turn the auditorium into a soup kitchen and stop preaching, but just, you know, feed people meals. I'm not saying that. The gospel is priority. But there are ways that we can love our neighbor, and our neighbor may be somebody that's having a tough time. Let's seek the Lord about what he would have us do in the months and years ahead. And then I'll close in Amos today. Amos chapter 5, another harder one to find, one of those minor prophets closer to the end of the Old Testament. Amos chapter 5. As you're turning to Amos chapter 5, I want to paint a scenario for you to think of as um, an analogy or parallel to Amos chapter 5 and what's going on here. I'm going to ask, if I can, for a show of hands, if you are here today and you have been married for 50 years. Can I see your hands? Where are my 50 years married people? All right. There's a few. Not as many as I thought. Well, congratulations. And thank you very, very much for your faithfulness. God's blessed you. Uh, I've been to some 50th anniversary celebrations. Um, I was allowed to go to my parents. That was nice. Um, We went to Chicago and did the architecture tour and ate at some nice restaurant downtown. It was was a a nice time. I remember going to uh, 50th anniversary for a couple from our church. uh, He passed away. She's moved out of state now. I was hosted at Teagles. And uh, they had, I think, five daughters. It was very, very classy. And they had tables full dinner, all 16 courses, you know, you get a whole course of, you know, um, cabbage. You get a whole course of pickle relish. It's amazing. You get your beets and everything. And it was fancy, and the kids were there and all that. So picture yourself. I remember going to my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, uh, both sides. Uh, it's a very special thing. Imagine, however, whether it was me at my parents or grandparents or maybe a church member at a, another church member's 50th anniversary. You're at the 50th anniversary and, and you said something just not quite right in the room. There's something just a little awkward about the social chemistry. And it turns out that these um, 
adult children are, are putting together this fancy party at, at Teebles or some steakhouse or something like that. And they've made a really fancy occasion for their parents honoring them for their 50th anniversary. And they've spent a lot of money on the food, they've spent a lot of money on decorations, and they've gathered pictures, and it's wonderful. But then you figure out what's going on. Because there's several of these adult children, and they all hate each other. And, and actually, they, they, what makes it worse is that they're, they're, they're joint owners of the family business. And they're constantly trying to cut each other out of profits. They are constantly trying to one-up the other one and just jockey for political position. They, they, they don't trust each other. They're angry with each other. They're unkind to each other. And now, on 50th anniversary today, they all come to the banquet hall together and they're doing all these fancy, dancy things for dad and mom. And dad and mom know what's going on. They know how they treat each other. How do you think mom and dad are feeling at that separation when they watch the, their kids look across the room at each other? They watch them not speak to their brothers and sisters. Do you think that's a, a wonderful, happy time for mom and dad? Not like it could be, right? Amos chapter 5, verse 21. God speaking says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. God says, I don't want your fancy ceremonies and feasts. I just want you to do right. I don't want you to be corrupt. I don't want you to oppress and mistreat each other for any reason. See, God loves everybody. And so when people oppress people, it's like brothers and sisters oppressing brothers and sisters at their parents' 50th wedding anniversary. You can't worship God and mistreat your neighbor at the same time. You need to do judgment and righteousness. God's expectations are not very complex. He wants us to be kind. He wants us to think especially about those who are having a hard time. He places a really high priority on on compassion and mercy. Do you love your neighbors like that? Or are you thinking that, well, as long as I don't beat people up, I'm a good person? No, go further than that. Love them like God loves them. And don't be biased against those who already have a strike or two against them. May God show us real-life ways where this week, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, we can love our neighbors the way God wants us to. Do you think maybe we could make a bigger impact in our county for God if we were loving our neighbors like this? I think maybe we could. Just like the Lord, so very much like Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is graceglory7 at juno.com. Graceglory, the number seven, at juno.com. Pastor David M. Atkinson also has a ministry on Facebook and invites you to connect with him there. Now, until the next time, remember to walk softly with the Lord.